well, you know how to set up a girl for failure. <laughs> Great. That's quite an introduction. A little generous, but I guess husbands are supposed to be loving and generous to their wives. Um, good morning, guys. This is, this is fun. I'm used to being up here for announcements, but nothing of this nature. It'll be odd having... I love conversations. I love meeting with people. It's a little weird when you don't talk back to me, but this will be new and fun. Um, I'm sorry if I seem a bit disheveled or nervous. It's only because I'm disheveled and nervous. Um, I got to church and realized I have like holes in my shirt right in the front, and I hadn't brushed my teeth yet, but I am wearing deodorant, so there's a start. <laughs> um, yesterday was a really eventful day. It's been an eventful week, man. I think uh, this was like tooth and nail pulling me to do this. Russell has been um, nagging lovingly for a while, and so probably a lot of anxiety and just nervousness about what to say, um, as well as then we filmed a wedding yesterday until midnight. Um, so as many of you guys know, I'm a wedding cinematographer and Russell is often my second shooter, but actually he wasn't even my second shooter yesterday. They hired me alone, but I was filled with such like anxiety and I was like, my life is falling apart and how am I gonna do this? And he's like, baby, you want me to come with you? And I was like, yes, you are coming. So he actually came and filmed this wedding with me even though he, wasn't, he didn't have to, I didn't hire him for the day. Um, but it was Russell's first Jewish wedding, which is fun. So I've shot a couple um, before in the city, but Russell hasn't. If you know anything about my husband, he is a great lover of the Jewish people. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, that was probably not the correct way to say that, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so anyway, we're filming this wedding, and of course, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, okay, are the colors right? Are the, is the lighting right? Is the angle, you know, am I going to miss the vows and stuff? And meanwhile, like, while the, the rabbi during um, a lot of these ceremonies, he will, like, sing um, old Hebrew text, and um, he'll, like, pray over sacraments, but it's through song, and it's very beautiful. Um, so I'm, like, kind of, like, getting the angle and trying to, like, squeeze in between bridesmaids and stuff. And Russell's, like, in the corner weeping, <laughs> like, the beautiful Hebrew, because he understands Hebrew, too. So, like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, that's oh, beautiful. Great. Yeah, like, bless you. And Russell's like, oh, my gosh, it's so intense and beautiful. And the wedding gets over, and we meet in the back of the room. And I'm like, okay, did you get all the shots, you know? And he's like, why are we not Jewish? <laughs> Well, honey, we're part of the larger extended family of God, you know, like Christ came and, you know, we're part of the family now, so it's okay. I am excited to be here, though, you guys. We um, are continuing on into a series that Russell explained called Questions. It was a series designed by you guys. So um, if you're just joining us, um, basically you guys submitted questions to us via text messages, things like that. We took all your questions, we took the most asked questions, and we formed a series. So we want to be a church that's not afraid of asking tough questions, which is why we put the ball in your court, because we knew that you'd throw some good hard balls at us. Um, but there's three qualifiers to kind of this series and just who we are as a church. Um, one, many questions possess a interscriptural tension and are more speculative than essential. And basically what that means is that there's a lot of texts that lead to interpretation. They're not black and white, or some things even seem to contradict. Um, and so we want to be a community that's okay, that we don't always fall on the same side, but that we are we're coming together, um, which is kind of then a continuation of that is our um, three pillars. Um, we are made up of crowds and disciples, meaning that we are along a broad spectrum 
where we are in our faith. And that's important because a lot of things I'm gonna be talking about today, I'm gonna say things like truth or I'm gonna be talking about the context of marriage and God's design, you know, as Christians, what does marriage look like? So if that's not something that you ascribe to, I think that it's still applicable and it's good, but like there, there are certain, we realize you guys are a part along the spectrum, okay? All are welcome, we want you to be here no matter where you are on that, on that spectrum. The second thing is we are a community of the story and the story is of Jesus Christ um, and that is like our essential pillar. So in, in, in the essence, in Jesus, we are united in the details. There is much grace for us to have varying um, beliefs in our theologies, um, as long as the essentials we're unified on. And then we eat together face to face. We talk about it all the time, every week. If you know nothing else about our church, we love to eat food. So um, this is where we come together. After the service, we come, we eat. We can talk about how we agree or disagree, but we do it lovingly with grace and with food, because that's what Christ did. So. Those, uh, those are two disclaimers. The third is a quote by Howard Ross. Um, I know, I have to follow Russell and I always quote Howard Ross. No, he's a great, a great theologian and he says, there's nothing more harmful than an answer, to answer a malformed question. So a lot of the questions that came in, you know, especially when it comes to like dating or marriage, is like how, like a common one is how far is too far, right? Like there's a long spectrum between like first kiss and like consummation of marriage, you know? And so like between hi, what's your name, and I do, where are the boundaries, what's the line? Well, I think, and kind of meditating on this for last month, a better question is, what's the purpose of marriage? Um, because then we kind of understand God's purpose for marriage. Those questions, um, still important, um, become kind of an evaluation of how the Lord's working with us, and we can respond more to his promptings in situations, because you guys all have really unique, different situations, okay? So, recap, real fast, last week, Russ spoke about being um, a single Christian and sexuality, so if you weren't here, what you missed was, Disney movies told us romance is the best way to live, society tells us that sex is the best way to find yourself, the church says that marriage was the best way to become like Jesus, and yet, the New Testament presents uh, a vision that is opposite of all three of these. Romance is not the best way to live, but according to the gospel, your life is meant to be part of a bigger story than just your own. I know, how selfish, right? Um, sex is not the best way to discover yourself. Rather, the church is the primary pathway to intimacy according to the gospel, and singleness is the preferred option to Christ's likeness, not marriage. So if you weren't here, you're like, whoa, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> you should listen to it, it's really good. Um, all of our sermons are up online. So today we are going to sort of continue the dialogue. We're gonna talk about marriage as well as dating. We're gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of go backwards and talk about marriage first and then we can kind of understand the context of dating then in light of understanding the purpose of marriage, okay? I'm gonna pray first because I think that's a good place to start. Lord God, be present in this place. Um, we have come from a lot of different situations. We have come from crazy traffic this morning or train delays or little sleep filming a wedding or you know cranky babies, whatever it is, Lord. We are gathered here now. Draw near to us, be close. Lord, I ask that it would not be my words, but yours that come forth. Um, I just pray for open hearts and minds um, that just crave you this morning, Lord. So draw near, be present with us, 
and just love on us with your grace, your wisdom, and your beautiful intention um, for creating us and a, a really fuf like fulfilling life that you desire for us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I think it's important to talk about, um, or kind of, as we talk about marriage, it's important to address kind of these different views of marriage that we have, right? We have culture and what our context tells us about marriage, and then we have what essentially what church has kind of telling us, what has told us. When I say church, I kind of mean big C church, right? So like the church at large, I don't mean like what Hope Brooklyn has told you or your local church or this person's experience, but kind of church as a, as a whole, a larger big C, okay? So, and it's important to know that, or to note that we all kind of come from different cultures and different contexts, but for the sake of this conversation, I am talking as you know, the 21st century, living in America, we could say specifically we're in New York, specifically we're part of like a subculture of like a Christian community, yada, yada, okay? So we're talking from like if you grew up in America, because I say that because if we're talking about someone who's maybe around our age living in certain parts of India, arranged marriage is the norm. So they're gonna have a different understanding of like sex and marriage than we would, okay? So for the sake of the conversation, that's where we're gonna go when we talk about what does culture today tell us about sex? Well, I learned from Tinder that physical attraction is very important, right? In fact, it's like the most important um, factor in whether or not you're gonna give somebody five minutes of your time or less than five seconds of your time, right? Or let's be honest, sometimes it's even faster, right? Like left, 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 left. I don't even know if left is no or right is no. Like, one of those is no. Like, I, if I was dating today, I would be in so much trouble. Um, I would be in so much trouble because I would be like, one photo, a photo, like, do I have red lips or purple lips, hair up, down, like, am I doing the like, hi, or like, hey, smile, am I with a girlfriend, what if he thinks she's hot, no, I can't have a girlfriend in that, like, just me, do I have an ex-boyfriend, so he's just, like, I would be, like, paralyzed, I would probably just have, like, a picture of a golden retriever, because <laughs> no one swipes no to a golden retriever, it's like, oh, she's lovable, right, physical attraction. Um, other dating websites, or just like common belief, is compatibility. So we have, I use dating websites just because it's like a very, like there's algorithms so it's easier for me to break down. But we see this in society, right? We are matched up compatibly with other people. So you answer questions and it's like, do we have things in common, hobbies, interests, um, economic, political, religious similarities, and this will help know our success rate, you know? Because the more things we have in common, probably, um, the farther we'll go in the long run because we agree on more things and we won't disagree, we won't get in fights and fights leads to marriage. So yay, like compatibility is a big one. Um, it's good to have chemistry, right? Like when you have that kiss, you should basically like, be electrocuted by the sure magnitude of your chemistry. Um, I'm really glad that that's not always proven true. Um, when my husband, Russell, and I were first dating, actually we weren't technically even dating yet. Our first kiss kind of became like the start of our, our dating relationship, which is not the best horse before the wagon situation. But anyway, so our first kiss was in a car, strike one, okay? No one likes kissing in a car. It's super awkward and you get like stuck with the seatbelt and you're like, oh crap, hold on, click, click, whoop, 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 and you have to like stretch it out so you can like move with it. And then you're like, do I go left or right? And I'm already like kind of gawking. It's super awkward, right? So strike one against our chemistry. Um, the second is we start kissing, and I don't even know how long, like maybe 15 seconds in, um, I get bit. And I'd love to say that it was like a sexy like, like I'm not gonna bite you, girl. But it wasn't. It was like full on draw blood, bite. 
And so we both were kind of shocked and pulled back. And, um, and he, ow, guys, you're going to feel so endeared to my husband at the end of this. Um, he, he goes, I just bit you. And I was like, yeah, you did. And he's like, I think we should try that again. <laughs> so we go back in for a kiss. You guys, I'm not lying. He does it again. I was like, I think this is a good part to say goodnight. Um, but I went home, and I lived with six girls at the time. And they were all like, oh my gosh, your date, how'd it go? Did you guys kiss? And I was like, we did. And they're like, how was it? And I was like, it was the worst kiss of my life. He bit me twice, and I bled. <laughs> um, but I, I was talking to these girls, and I probably felt so like, oh my gosh, goo-goo eyes, because I was like, but I don't care. I like him a lot. And I'm sure we'll get better at it. Like, we'll practice, you know? And I have to say, this disclaimer, my husband has had a lot of surgeries on his face, and so one of the surgeries actually nicked a nerve where he has no filling in his lower lip from here to here or here to here. We are both aggressive bottom lip kissers. If you didn't know that was a thing, that's a thing. You either bottom a top or some people can hibernate, like in between, which is great. We're both bottom lips. So that first kiss, we were both like dogging for the bottom and he can't feel anything and so then he bit me, okay? So I wanna just say, I love kissing my husband and he's a phenomenal kisser. We just had to figure out our chemistry, okay? It's not always that spark at the beginning. The other thing is sex. You have to have amazing sex and like chemistry within the sheets to have this like great relationship and marriage. If someone is not compatible with you in sex, how could you possibly like marry them or have like terrible sex the rest of your life with that one person? I was in my early 20s at a coffee shop and I was in the back doing the dishes and I had a coworker and I started dating one of the regulars who does that, I did. Um, <laughs> so I was dating one of the coffee shop regulars so they were like, hey, how's the relationship going? And I was like, oh, it's good. You know, she's like, how's the sex? And then she kind of caught herself because she's like, oh wait, you're a Christian, right? You don't do that. I was like, no, we're not having sex. And she's like, but like you will, right? Like if things go really well and you guys fall in love, like you would have sex, right? And I was like, no, you know, like that's something I'd really love to save for my marriage. And they're like, what if you get married and he's terrible at sex? And I was like, uh, I guess we'd practice. Like, I mean, I wasn't very good when I started at the piano, but I mean, I'm no Chopin now, but I can like, I've gotten better, <laughs> you know? But it was inconceivable that I would tie my life to somebody without knowing if we were good at sex together. Um, and so then, not in a like twist, I was generally curious, I said, you know, you're married, was, was your husband the best sex that you've ever had? You know, and was that a part of like your chemistry? And she was like, ah, uh, no, I remember the best sex I've ever had. And she continued to tell me about an ex that she had had. And it struck me, and I know that's a lot of our stories, right? I mean, I know the statistics, we all do, okay? Waiting is really, really hard. Um, so I understand that, but there was this part of me in that moment that was thinking about the purpose of marriage and waiting, and I just thought, like, I don't think that was God's intention. Like, I don't want to get married and have to think, like, you're good, but you're not the best. But, you know, there's a lot of other great things about you. I don't want to have to deal with reconciling that or pushing that out. And so in that moment, and, and you know, I knew nothing at the time. I was young, but I was just like, oh, I don't think that was the way it was supposed to be. Um, what else? Oh, we're supposed to be happy, right? Uh, we hear that all the time. We use that language like, oh, you look so happy. Are you happy? Girl, you should be happy. Honey, he just doesn't make you happy. We use that all the time. I do. Um, as if our happiness will last or if this feeling won't be fleeting or as if we could 
find somebody that will continue to make us happy the rest of our lives. Frankly, it's not realistic, and it's not in scripture. Um, In fact, we see a lot of the opposite is true. Um, It's gonna be tough, it's gonna be really hard, and happiness can definitely be this beautiful outcome of a healthy marriage, but if we seek marriage for happiness, we will be sorely disappointed. Okay, and then lastly, love, right? Love is this feeling that we have, and then we get married. Love, that feeling of love, we'll talk about a different kind of love a little bit, but that feeling of love, like happiness, will fade. You ask somebody, like, why do you love them? Oh, she's just, she's amazing, you know? She, like, she takes care of me so well, and um, she does all the things that I like. She'll go to the games, you know, she'll play basketball with me, or she'll watch that movie, yada, yada, yada. When you get married, what happens if she doesn't want to watch that movie with you anymore? Or she doesn't want to cook you meals? Or she doesn't want to take you out? Or she doesn't do these things? Will you still love her? Because the love that you described earlier isn't you loving her, it's how she makes you feel. She makes you feel really good. And so that feeling of love has a very surface level understanding of love in the way that we understand God's love and a, and a love that he wants us to experience in marriage with each other. Okay, um, that's culture, okay? So now we're going to look about what scripture has to say about, about marriage and then, and then dating and, and love too is kind of all in there. Um, and I do think that church, Big C Church, has done sometimes a really poor job of describing love, um, marriage, dating, because what they've done is they've taken a lot of these values or these definitions of culture, of dating, of marriage, and then brought them into the church, but then they put like church-like boundaries around these cultural ideas of what love is and said like, these things will be like given to you once you're married, if you stay chaste, and if you do all these wonderful things leading up to marriage, then. Like, I know so many friends, you guys, that heard, like, don't give yourself up for marriage. Once you get married, you will have mind-blowing sex for the rest of your life. That is a lie. It is a lie. Like, that, that is um, a part of what I want to talk about today, is just let's get back to what God has to say, okay? Um, So we're going to be in Genesis 2, um, chapter 15 through 25. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, you can read along with me. If not, we'll have it up here. Chapter 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And uh, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds in the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and the wife were not ashamed. 
we just witnessed the first marriage. There was no officiant or pastor. There was no exchanging of vows. There was no flower girl. Unfortunately, there's no videographer. Um, <laughs> but this was a marriage. They did have sex, if you notice. Um, and that's kind of like what brought them together is that sex. So I know all guys in here that are married are like, that would have been so much cheaper, man. Like, <laughs> been ways or way to go because they have a lot of money. Um, so from this passage, from this being the first marriage we see in scripture, um, I think that there's a lot there that tells us about the purpose of why God designed marriage. So where I'm gonna go through kind of these points of why I think marriage was designed for. Um, so these, these points um, broken down are actually something that I um, took from a pastor out in Portland. His name is John Mark Comer, and he teaches um, kind of like a conference and has a book called Loveology, and he's fantastic. Um, preacher, and I just love the way that he put these things. So the first reason, purpose, is friendship. Genesis is poetic as a poem, right? So God creates the heaven, the earth, it is beautiful. He creates light, it is beautiful. He creates, you know, the air, birds of the air, the beasts of the fields, it is beautiful. But when he comes to Adam, we see um, that he says, it is not good that man should be alone. Not that Adam was not good, but his loneliness wasn't. So... God created Eve um, to be his friend. It's a big garden. He's alone. He can't talk to the animals. The animals don't talk back. He wants companionship. He wants someone to walk in the gardens with Adam. Um, and that's like one of the coolest parts about marriage is that at its essence, at its core, it's companionship. It's friendship. It's two people that when rubbed together, push each other more into the image of God. Um, Man, you think you're a really good person until you get married, <laughs> and then you're like, I didn't know I was capable of that. Um, it's kind of like this mirror, basically, of when you get married, like, you can experience this friendship. In friendships, we all, we all have close, tender best friends. In marriage, it takes this, this slightly more intense turn because you are bound to them, there's no separating. I lived with three of my best friends in a house of six girls, okay? And I was close with these girls. And yet, when I needed space, when I needed to breathe, I had room to do that. In marriage, I can't be like, Russ, I just need like three days from you, okay? Like I just, you know, like, could you go somewhere or something? That's not the case. So what happens is each of us has this like boiling point of like different things that we're like, I can't, and then poof, he gets to see that. He gets to see that when I'm like, I can't just walk away. I want to, but I can't. So then it's almost like I want to look at him and be like, oh, look what you, oh, no, I, I did that. Crap. That's so ugly. Oh, I'm ugly. Crap. It's this beautiful reflection because it forces us to be constantly um, walking with one another and tensions will arise within friendship, but it, it starts to like, sharpen us and it, and it grows us um, into better people. You have to ask forgiveness a lot in marriage. You have to offer forgiveness a lot. Um, scripture talks a lot about forgiveness. It's a good thing. It's a good quality and friendship and marriage is a great way to practice that. Um, the next thing is um, gardening. I know I'm from Portland and I'm like a super like woo hippie, like I love gardening, taking care of the earth, but um, I do think that there is like 
literally, like, we are to love this earth. God created it. He put Adam in charge of it. Like, we should care for this earth. But I also think that it means something more in that we are asked to be stewards of not only the earth, but of God's people. You know, we hear words like harvest and um, God talks a lot about like pruning and there's a, like a lot of gardening talk and he invites that, us into that with him. So it doesn't have to be, you know, like quite literally, we're, you know, ministry, Hope Brooklyn is where we feel like we are gardening right now, but like it's anywhere, it's in your workplace, it's, you know, anything that you do, you are, you are gardening and it's hard work and it's good to do it together. And so I want to like point out though that in, in the text, when it says help comparable, and I tried to emphasize that so we remember that, when it says there was no help comparable to Adam. The word there is ezer konegdo. Um, ezer meaning help, konegdo um, meaning like as in the sight of him, right? Um, but ezer doesn't only mean help, it actually means great strength, a strong helper. Like, God wasn't like, oh, Adam, you need someone to, like, make your sandwiches while you tend to the garden, and then she'll, like, bring them out to you. Like, no, Eve is strong. She is a strong help. She is an equal partner to Adam in the gardening. She does not walk beside, like, she does not walk behind or below. She walks beside him, okay? So we need to understand that, like, we are co-gardeners together doing, like, the work of God as a team, and it's hard, but it's so good, you guys. Sex. I love this topic. Russell told you that um, a couple weeks ago. Like, he loves to tell me, tell things about me. I have a passion for sex and spirituality because I think it's been something that's been really um, painful for a lot of people in the church. Um, God designed sex, you guys. He loves your sex life. He desires it for you. Our God is not a prude. And if you don't believe me, then why does the human body have a sex organ whose only purpose is pleasure? He designed us, okay? Like, God loves when we come together. The word here, when it says that they became one flesh, is basar, okay? And the word literally is flesh, it is visceral, it is like, they, in another text it's used to describe like the flesh of animals, okay? He could have used a lot of different words. They became one spirit, one soul, they became a new Adam, a new, a new man. They became one flesh, okay? If that's confusing to you, don't worry, it is for me and it was for Paul. <laughs> he said it was a beautiful mystery, this one fleshness. But there is something that happens that binds you together in sex. It was God's intention. Um, we see it also in like science when we've discovered the brain and what happens um, during sex and especially during like orgasm that there's these chemicals that get released in the brain and oxytocin in particular is a, um, a binding. It makes you feel bonded to someone emotionally. It lets your guard down. You have an increased sense of empathy. Um, it was intended for that. Within this context of commitment, someone that you are committed to, sex is this beautiful thing that brings a husband and wife back together, continues to bond them, even when things are hard or not right, it brings them back together as one. It becomes this one fleshness um, that we think, like we've been told, sex, bad, ugh, gross. It's not, it's beautiful, um, but it has a great purpose beyond just pleasure. It's connecting, it's connection. And it's that bonding between a husband and wife that literally in later texts when it talks about what happens when you separate it, it's like this like 
I hope that sounded gross. I wanted it to sound gross. Like ripping of flesh, guys. He could have used a lot of other words. That's a kind of intense word. Family. That's another reason for marriage. Family. It's a great framework to bring up a family. We see God loves the family unit. In fact, in a lot of the Old Testament, the Jews' job um, their, their purpose was to create more Jews, to grow the family of God. He uses language like we are the sons and the daughters. He is our father. Um, and I'm not a mom, yet I hope one day I can be, but a lot of my friends are parents, are soon to be. I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And you hear stories about how once you have a family, you have kids and you, you feel this love that you can't even express um, you start to understand a little bit more about God's love, that just intense, like, love that you can't explain you would do anything for. It's so sacrificial. It's so selfless, especially in those teen years when you probably are like, why do you hate me? I love you. I've given my life. Well, now you know how he feels, right? Like, um, that's a beautiful thing. So I think family teaches us that. It's not the only way to live into that calling. And I want to make that clear because some women can't have children. And, and as we learned last week, marriage is not the only way to Christ-likeness, okay? So there's a lot of other ways to live into the calling of family without um, having your own children. But I do think it is a beautiful way. Um, and then the last, it's to make us more like Christ. Marriage is to push us, our lives, we know from other scripture, is to be a living sacrifice um, to God, and marriage is a beautiful way that we, we get sharpened by our, our partners to live into that image. So I'm gonna read, this is kind of a long tech quote, so try to keep with me. Um, it's C.S. Lewis, but I think he just says it much better than I can, um, so I'll try to read it with some passion. <clears throat> what we call being in love is a glorious state and in several ways, good for us. It, it, helps us, make us. it helps make us generous and courageous. It opens our eyes not only to the beauty um, of the beloved, but all the beauty. And it subordinates, especially at first, our merely animal sexuality. In that sense, love is, a great, is the great conqueror of lust. No one in his senses would deny that being in love is far better than either common sensuality or cold con contradness. I, I was gonna try to work that out with you before, but I forgot. I hope that's how I say it. <laughs> But as I said before, the most dangerous thing you can do is to take any one impulse of our own nature and set it up as the thing you ought to follow at all cost. Being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. There are many things below it, but there are also things above it. You cannot make it the basis of a whole life. It is a noble feeling, but it is still a feeling. Now, no feeling can be relied on to last to its full intensity or even to last at all. Knowledge can last, principles can last, habits can last. Love usually does not last. And in fact, whatever people say, the state called being in love usually does not last. And the old fairy tale ending, they lived happily ever after, is taken to mean that they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they married. Then it says what probably never was, nor would be true, or would be highly undesirable if it were. Who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? What would become of your work, your appetite, your sleep, your friendships? <laughs> but of course, Ceasing to be in love, not only um, need not only sorry, but of course, ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. Love in this second sense of love, as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It is a deep 
unity, maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by in the Christian marriage, the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other. As you love yourself, even when you do not like yourself, they retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity, but this quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it all. It's not a bad thing to have these feelings of love. It's, it's fun, it's beautiful, and it draws us to somebody. Um, but as we read, and I probably don't need to even elaborate because that was already a very long quote, um, it's not what will last. So making us more like Christ is understanding this type of love, this service, this sacrificial love. But there's also some other ways in which being in marriage um, helps us become more like Christ. So working hard side by side, we talked about that in, in the gardening um, reason. Marriage is hard, um, but we do it side by side, gardening, tending together. God talks a lot about work. Work is good. It's good to sweat. It's good to toil. It actually throws us to the feet of Jesus a lot in our marriages. And we're like, Lord, how do I do this? Good. We should be thrown to the feet of Jesus. And I don't say that like as if it's not difficult. It is difficult. And I know I am just beginning in my marriage and so I've got so much to learn and I'll probably come to be like, I don't regret, I regret those words. Um, but if it's throwing me at the feet of Jesus, I will take that. Um, by reflecting, oh, so by reflecting, so marriage is talked about as being a representation of the way that Christ loves the church as Christ is married to the church, his bride. As a community, we reflect that. Um, we make covenants to one another, and it's not just Russell and I in this marriage. We said our vows before our families, before our community, community that we said, will you please come and not only have a beautiful party and celebration, but hold us to this commitment, to this covenant that we're making to each other because our marriage is more, more than just about Russell and I. In fact, when it's done best, it's not really even about us. It's about being a representation of God to our community. And it's our, it's our prayer all the time. Russell says this to me all the time. He goes, am I a better man in private than I am in public? I wanna be a better husband to you than what people see, because it's so easy for him to get up here and preach an amazing sermon, and then people come up and they're like, oh my gosh, your husband's so great, but wouldn't it be awful that I was like, ugh, yeah, but behind closed doors, he's a terrible person, or he doesn't love me well. I love that about my partner who I get to garden with. He's more concerned about our love being a true representation of God's love for us than being a show. We practice forgiveness in marriage. I said that earlier, but that is important. It's way harder for me <laughs> to ask for forgiveness than it is to forgive, you guys. I... Um, Man, I, I thought I'm like, a real, I'm a really type B personality. I never got in fights. I really don't get in fights. Russell will tell you, I don't have a temper, which like infuriates him because he's like, just get mad. And I'm like, I am mad. <laughs> and he's like, that's not mad. And I'm like, 
<laughs> like I just don't really have a temper. I don't know what it is about me, but I just have a very long fuse, I suppose. Um, but because of that, in all my relationships before that I was like, man, I'm really good at like asking for forgiveness. I never really had to ask for forgiveness. Not that I didn't do anything wrong. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But I was always able to kind of distance myself from people before I would maybe snap or say something. Like I could, I could have space in marriage. Like I said before, it's not an in or out thing. It's an all in, all the time thing. So S will hit the fan sometimes, okay? And so it does in our marriage, we have fights. I will not be the first person to ask forgiveness 90% of the time, maybe 95. It is a weakness in me, you guys, and I don't know what it is, but my husband has represented the love of Christ so well to me and that like, I'm still like processing and he'll be like, I want to, I want to work this out. I want to reconcile that. I'm like, I just want to watch Netflix. I don't know, I just need some space from you. Um, but, I want to, I want to be the first to ask him for forgiveness. I don't want him always to come because pretty soon, man, he's gonna be like, wow, does she, does she love me? Does she care for me? Um, he represents that well in our marriage. And I think that's a really beautiful part about marriage in that he is strengthening that area of my life that I don't look like Christ in, but I want to. And he forces me into that. Not, not because he's forcing it, because I want to submit to that. By his love, my own heart wants to submit to that. Um, marriage humbles us. <laughs> you realize you're wrong a lot more of the time than you thought you were. And again, probably because in other relationships, you don't have nearly as many conversations in your entire life as you do with this one person. So just by the sheer magnitude of conversations you have, you're going to be wrong more than you are with other relationships. Um, and that's if you're just like a very level-headed person. So it, it, asking forgiveness humbles us, and if we know much about our God, if we know much about Christ, he was a humble man. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful attribute of our God that's a very unique attribute of our God as well. Okay, so we, a lot, talked about marriage and what the purpose of marriage is and, and how it can make us look more like Christ. What does this mean for dating? Let me be clear, there is no advice on dating in this book. Thou shall come and court you five days before then the father shall give one cow and let, you know, like, that didn't happen because when this book was written, there wasn't, in, there wasn't anything like dating. Um, it's a very modern thing, really only the last like century, a little bit more spilling over, uh, but it's a very modern idea, this concept of dating, especially the individuality of dating as we do now, like the way how we know it. Families were involved, communities were involved. A lot of time in scripture, you did not meet your spouse until the day of your wedding the day of your wedding, and you were expected to consummate your marriage that night, you were one. We call that like hooking up today, but can you imagine like if you like hooked up and you're like, for life. <laughs> I think people would drink a lot less <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> um, but that's what, that's what it was. So, so when I kind of talk about dating right now, it's important in scripture that when things are dogmatic, that we're dogmatic, but when things are unclear, that I'm not gonna make any statements up here that are dogmatic about dating because this is my interpretation of scripture 
and how I've read, and, and God does say things about love and friendship and, and respecting people, so we can infer things about dating, but there is no like dating theology within this, okay? Um, but I do think that it's important um, to talk about because we all at some point probably will be dating or have or want to. And, and I see dating kind of as this like uh, building of a foundation, right? There's, it's kind of a crude way to say it, and I say crude and like very like brash or abrupt, but it's kind of true. Every relationship, and this I guess maybe is the ideal, okay? In every relationship you're in, they will all fail except for one. Right? Like, if we marry one person, and, and we live in the society where that's not always true, but say, like, that was God's intention, we marry one person. So this dating thing, all of those relationships will end except for one of them. So, A, give yourself, like, a lot of grace when you're like, oh, I just keep breaking up. Good, he's not the one. Wait for it. Um, but, but basically, your dating is kind of this trajectory towards building this foundation towards marriage. Even if he's not the one, even if there's like a bunch of other guys in between or girls in between, um, it's still building a foundation because we are imprinted by all relationships that we're in, dating or friendship or family or whatever, it affects us. So if we think of marriage as like, hey, this is the end, whatever, of this particular track is marriage. Well, before the I do, we were kind of like in love and there was a moment when you're like, this is the one I want to commit, whether it was like the moment you said I love you or you got engaged, but that's that. But then before that realization, it was kind of a like, oh, I'm figuring it out. Like you could be the one, you know, and that's a healthy thing to kind of figure out. Like you get to know people and um, it's a, the fun can be a really fun, great period, but you're kind of figuring them out. During that period is kind of what we're talking about right now. How do we act within that period that sets us up for a healthy foundation for a marriage? Because whatever we're doing here, it will be brought into that. There's no like compartmentalization of that, you know? Um, and so, so I think that then there's some kind of healthier ways to date and unhealthier ways. It's probably easier for me to talk about some unhealthier ones, um, and I hope they're more funny than rigid, okay? The first is the list, right? We have this list of the 57 things he or she needs to have in order to be my future spouse, right? Um, which is fine if you're training on like cardigans, you know, like, oh, I really like this one, but it has brass buttons and I want silver buttons, or like, this is a great tone of red, but it's like a half an inch too long, or like, this one's soft, but is it too soft? Because it has to be soft enough, but if it's too soft, it's like, oh, I don't want to touch it, you know? Great for a cardigan, girl. You get that cardigan, dude, you get those jeans. For a human, it's a bit dehumanizing um, and narcissistic, to say the least, okay? Like, do you think you meet everybody's list? Like, do you have all the 57 attributes? Probably not. That list is most likely mostly shallow things. And what that list does is it compartmentalizes people. You're not seeing this human, this beautiful creation of God before you that has like gifts and like uniqueness. You're seeing a list and they either do or don't check off your list and then they're kind of like done in your mind. It's okay to know what you want when you're looking for somebody. But if you do kind of have this list, try to make it short really short, and try to make it things about character and the heart and, and things that you're like, I would love to partner with somebody in the garden and do that, you know, with them. Um, so the list, probably not the best way to date, right? Um, then we have searching for the one. That's not in the Bible, guys. 
There, like this one person um, that will fulfill, be the one, like, oh, like what if I married Russell, but he, later on I find out, like he's not the one, this is the one. Sorry, you're in. I one fleshed with him. Like we are one now, okay? I don't wanna rip that flesh. You heard that sound effect, it's gross, okay? He's my one now. He is my one because I have made a covenant with him. And there's no stars that align that I'm like, oh, like, oh, crap, that was my one. Will there be someone, I'll say it for me because it'll sound nicer. For Russell, is there someone that he can find that'll be more beautiful, more intelligent, that she might be more athletic, definitely. <laughs> more athletic, more something, 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 yes. He will find somebody that could be more of all these things, but right now, I am his wife and we have come together to be one. And he's committed to me as I am committed to him. And I don't look from the left to the right to see, oh my gosh, that guy's five foot, no, five, five, six foot. Like you're only six foot three, he's six foot five. So much better, you know. Um, chilling, you guys know this term? It's really big in Portland. Like, hey girl, you want chill? What does that mean? I don't know what chilling means, especially when it's like we're chilling and then you're like, whoa, you're going in for a makeout? Like, that's not chilling. What are you doing? Don't you do that. It's really big in Portland. I think it might be big in New York. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of chilling going on. And what that really is, is you are scared to commit to something, which we all are. I get it. I get it. We live in this society that when we get an invite and it's like, yes, no, you're like, I don't know. I don't want to commit. Maybe Saturday I have something better going on. I'll wait till the end and then maybe I'll go. There is a maybe button. Okay, there's like yes, no, and maybe. We were like, I don't even say maybe. That's just too much. I can't commit to that. That is what chilling is. You gotta keep your options open, okay? And sometimes we have to call that out in a loving way. And I, this wasn't the fault of Russell. It's probably more of a miscommunication. But our first chill, what I would say, two friends hanging out. Um, we were walking up, you know, we went on a hike, a two-hour hike, and on the way back down, he was like, uh, you know, something, something about this date, and I was like, we're not on a date. And he's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And I was like, we were standing in a group of people, and, uh, you know, you were like, I'd love to hike, and I was like, oh, man, I went on this really great hike on Saturday, and we were all looking at pictures, and you're like, that's cool, can I go on the hike? And I'm like, sure, and then we were on this hike. I could have been anybody taking you on a hike. I could have been a dude. And he was like, oh, okay, uh, well, like, if I wanted to ask you on a date or like take you on a date, what would that look like? And I was like, I appreciate if those are your intentions of like, you'd like to pursue me. I'm not like super old school, but I got tired of chilling so much that I was like, you can let me know that. You don't have to pay every time. I'm not like, I'm, I am a little bit modern, but like, let me know that you're interested because then I know what to do with my heart. Right, because there's nothing wrong, guys, with guys and girls hanging out, and especially if it's in friendship. The problem with chilling is when not both parties want to chill. Okay, so when like, I'm not ready to commit, great, but like, how am I loving my brother or sister when I'm like, you wanna just like chill, and I'm kinda lonely, so maybe we can like, make out for a while, but like, if she's kinda like, oh my gosh, and now we're gonna get married, and we gonna be like, made out, or if he's like, dude, she's the one, like we kiss, and like we go on a date, and it's like, if they're not there, you're, you're hurting them. You're hurting their heart. So be careful with chilling. I'm not a complete prude. Guys and girls, you can hang out together. It is fun. Um, but just be careful. Watch for the heart and that. Um, and then casual dating, as we know, like kind of hooking up. Um, and I think that the problem with that is that it makes sex all about recreational play between two consenting adults, right? We play with toys as kids, but as adults we play with our bodies. And it's fun. 
Um, but if we've kind of learned anything about, about marriage and what it is to be bizarre flesh with each other, each time we enter into that with somebody random and we, we pull it apart, we're pulling our flesh apart. And God can, and God can like redeem, guys, for sure, but that is not the best way. It's gonna hurt you, and God doesn't wanna hurt you. Like, he wants this to be something that brings you back together with one person. So when you do that multiple times with people, it hollows you out. It's super unfulfilling, and it hurts you. Um, and it's just not the way that God designed a flesh to come together. He doesn't want sutures all over your body. He wants you to be whole. Positive ways of dating people. <laughs> um, we can kind of get from the ways that are maybe unhealthy or not helpful to date, the ways that are. This is a human being. They were created by the all-living God. They are unique, they are special, they are beautiful. They may not be the person that you're gonna build that house with, but you're a part of their foundation as you are with them. Respect them, love them. Um, it's okay to be bold with intentions too. I so appreciated three days later after our hike, Russell, we were playing darts, and Russell said, hey, if I win this, I would like to take you on a date, and I'd like to kiss you. <laughs> That's a true story. That was our first kiss in the car later that night. He won. Um, was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... But I so appreciated because I knew kind of where my heart was. Um, and sometimes it's awkward because you're like, hey, I, to, I want to date you. And sometimes people are like, oh, I'm not there. And that hurts and it sucks. But it's still a part of this like loving uh, process of just taking care of people, essentially. Um, that was a lot of me talking. Um, marriage is just as I see it, like these are all really great things that are fun and, and it's certainly, again, not the only way. Um, listen to last week's sermon, there's so many ways to become like Christ and there are beautiful ways. Um, but specifically talking about marriage, happiness is this byproduct of seeking out a healthy marriage that glorifies God. When we seek out happiness first in our marriage, it will fail us. It, like, it will go away. The feelings of love, the feelings of happiness, they will fail. But if we seek out health and, and to serve, um, I think that happiness can be a byproduct, a beautiful byproduct of that. And within that, we get to experience a little bit of the garden the Garden of Eden, this beautiful intentionality that God first designed um, for friendship, for hard work together, for, for sex, for family, to understand who he is more. Um, I was supposed to end with a story, but I don't have one because I just don't. I just want to... Um, invite those of you that are married, those of you who are on the trajectory towards marriage, those of you that are single or dating or whatever. Um, the garden is beautiful and I am so excited for the day when like we all get to return, but there are glimpses of that here. God says the kingdom of heaven is to come and it also is now. So, um, 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and uh, I'm just going to close us in some prayer. Lord, I, I marvel at the beauty of, of your creation. Lord, you are the first creative um, the magic that you have wound together, the beauty, this, this gift that you have given us to experience all these things, to get to know you more through this experience, Lord. Um, I thank you that you've given to us different ways of experiencing you, different ways, whether it's singleness or marriage, you know. We just ultimately want more of you, Lord. And I just ask for the marriages in this room, Lord, that there would be a returning to to the garden together, to of serving one another, to of seeking, like to be seeking out health in you ultimately, God. Not for ourselves, Lord, but for but for our spouse for our families, for our community, that our marriages would not just be about us, but would be about you. I ask for healing and and marriages that are in pain, Lord. This all paints a very simple picture. It's not simple. It is hard and it hurts. And there are so many different factors that go in that, Lord, that really only you truly know and you know best. So for that, Lord, I ask for your your redemption, your spirit, your reconciliation, your peace to come in and just redeem brokenness, God. Lord, we love you and I ask that these things would be things that we meditate on as we go forth from here or process or, or think about or things that just sink in. Um, We just want more of you, God. We want more of you. And we ask for you to be with us. Amen.